let's uh, take our Bibles this evening and we'll turn to the book of Psalms once again, Psalm 119. And tonight we're going to look at verses 41 through 48 as we continue our study in this Word of God chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119 and verse number 41, once you reach that passage of Scripture, if you would stand for the reading of the Scripture, if you're able, I'd encourage you to do that. And we will read verses 41 through 48. Here the psalmist says, Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings, and will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in thy commandments which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. You can be seated. As we've walked our way through this psalm together, one of the things that I've pointed out a couple of times is the fact that this was written from the standpoint of someone who loves the Word of God, desires the Word of God, walks in the Word of God, and yet he found himself in times of trial and deep distress. If you look back to uh, verse number 23, I want you to notice that he says, Princes also did sit and speak against me. Uh, if you can imagine what it would be like as an individual who's just going about life, trying to do what is right, trying to do that which pleases the Lord, and to find people in positions of great power and authority who are uh, actively scheming against you and trying to bring you down, that they sat and spoke against him, that they were uh, striving to bring him down. Uh, that had to be something somewhat distressing. Look at verse number 19, if you will, as he says here, I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. So this is a man who finds himself going through life, striving to serve the Lord, striving to please the Lord, uh, living in the word of God, and yet finds himself in a, in a place of distress and trial and difficulty, and really crying out to God, saying, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I need your word. I need you to speak to me. I need you to give me truth. I need you to give me wisdom. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a place like that, but I know I have. At times where it just seemed like, Lord, I know that you're there, and I love you, and I, and I desire to know you more, but it seems like, it feels like you're just not answering me, and I really need your help. That's kind of the, the spirit or the heart in which this was written. Lord, I, I love you. I love your word, but I need your help. I need your help to know your word. As we looked at last week, uh, the, we need God's help to, to learn his word and, and to give us understanding and to keep us doing that which we ought to do. And so this is the heart of this man. Have you ever stopped to consider 
that even though you might be right with God and trying to do everything that you believe God would have you to do, that you'll find yourself still in times of trial and distress and trouble? It's an interesting thing because I think in our minds, most of the time we have this mentality that, you know, as long as I'm right with God, then everything ought to be okay. You know, you know if, if, if everything's right with me and God, everything should be going well. And if something's not going well, Lord, what's wrong? What did I do wrong? <laughs> you know, the, the disciples had that same mentality. Do you remember in John chapter 9, there was that man that was born blind? And the disciples asked him the question, Lord, who did sin, this man or his parents that he was born blind? What a foolish question that was. This guy was born blind and they're saying, was that because he sinned in the womb? <laughs> I don't know what he would have done. But here, here was their mentality. If there's some trial, if there's some difficulty in his life, it must be because God is coming down on him because he's done wrong. But that's not true at all. And quite honestly, the, the life of a Christian, the life of someone who is following the Lord is, is not a life that is free of hardship and free of difficulty. It's not free of trial. We face hardships, don't we? We face very real trials, and it's in those times and in those moments that we realize just how desperately we need God and we need His help. And so here we find this statement that he makes as, as he's pleading to the Lord. In verse 41, he says this. I want you to notice his request. This is his request. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation, according to thy word. Now, the last 40 verses that we've read are all about how much this man loves the word of God and delights himself in the word of God and lives according to the word of God. And here's what he's saying. Lord, let me experience the mercy that you have promised in your word. When I, when I read that and considered that, it, it really caused me to stop in my tracks. Because there is a, a distinction, there is a difference between believing the word of God to be true, believing in the promises of God, and personally experiencing them. There's a difference. And notice he says in verse 42, he says, So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. Verse 43, Take not thy word utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. Lord, I have confidence in your word, I'm trusting in your word, I'm hoping in your word, but here is my request. Would you let me experience the mercy that you've promised me in your word? Would you let me actually, physically and visibly in my life, experience what I know to be true according to thy word. He had trusted in the word of God, but now he's asking, Lord, let your mercies come to me. Let me actually live it. Let, let me understand from a firsthand experience how great your mercy is. Notice he does say, even thy salvation according to thy word. I don't believe he's talking about, and you can debate this if you want, I don't believe he's talking about salvation from sin, because the psalmist here is already saved. It's very clear if you look at what he says, there's no way that you can be a man who loves the Lord and loves his word if you're not a child of God, if you're not saved. 
But the word salvation in the Bible doesn't always only refer to the eternal salvation of your soul in forgiveness of sins. The word salvation literally just means deliverance. Lord, Lord I, I need to be delivered. I need to experience your mercy and your deliverance in my life. I believed it, I've hoped in it, I've trusted in it, but now I need to see it. Now, I think it's import, important to just stop for a moment and say and clarify that we do not live by our experiences and our feelings. We live by faith. The Bible tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 and Galatians 3 and verse 11 that we walk by faith, not by sight. We live by faith. The just shall live by faith, the Bible says. It's not about what you feel. It's not about what you experience. In fact, hold your place here in Psalm 119, but go with me, if you would, to the book of 2 Peter and chapter number 1. Experiences can never override the Word of God. They can never trump what God has said. And I think that's important because there are those out there who claim to be Christians, would even claim probably to be evangelical, Bible-believing type Christians who really put so much emphasis on their experience and what they feel rather than what God has said. And I want to say to you that all you need in order to live by faith is the Word of God. That's all you need. And let me show you why. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 16 Here's what Peter says. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What's he saying? When I told you the gospel, I wasn't just telling you an old wives' tale or a legend. I was speaking from personal, first-hand experience I lived with Jesus, I walked with Jesus, I watched him be crucified, I saw him after he rose again, and I am an eyewitness of Christ. Verse 17, For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard, when we were with him in the Holy Mount. What's he talking about? Well, if you remember back in the Gospels, we read a couple different places of a time that Jesus took three of his apostles, three of his disciples into a mountain there with him. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. It was James and it was John and Peter, the one who is writing this. And as they were there on the mountain, the Bible says that Jesus was transfigured before them. In other words, they saw him in his eternal glory, they, no longer in his human fleshly body that he was indwelling as he was on the earth, but they saw him as he truly is, as much as a human can. He was transfigured before them. If you remember, they saw Moses and Elijah that were there speaking with him, and, and, and Peter was the one that actually spoke up. And, and what did he say? It's good for us to be here. You know, if he would have said that and stopped there, he would have been pretty smart. That's a good thing to say. It's good for us to be here. But then he said, let us build three tabernacles. You know, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And, and essentially was saying we ought to worship them just like we worship you, which is foolish. But Peter often said foolish things. That's why I like him. I can relate to him. Sometimes I put my foot in my mouth like he did. 
And then as soon as that happened, what, what, what followed? God the Father spoke. And he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God the Father, the voice of God the Father spoke. Peter, James, and John with their own eyes saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ sometime later, would see Jesus die and rise again, they would be standing there as they watched him ascend up into heaven where those angels came and said, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus will come again in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. And so they've experienced this. And he says, I'm not telling you some legend that's been passed down generation to generation. I have seen it with my own eyes. I've touched Christ myself I have experienced this. Notice what he says then. Verse number 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So what is he saying? I am an eyewitness to the sufferings, to the resurrection of Jesus, to the, uh, to, to the voice of the Lord, the, the Father in heaven speaking uh, and verifying that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm an eyewitness to that. And by the way, you have a more sure word of prophecy the scriptures. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. In other words, pay attention to the word of God because that's more reliable. You can have more confidence in God's word than even my own eyewitness account. Notice he didn't say that ye have a more sure word of prophecy. He said we have a more sure word of prophecy. In other words, he's saying I can be more confident in the scriptures than to believe my own lying eyes. That's a pretty incredible thing. In fact, I would even go so far as to say that if you are someone who maybe have had some kind of an experience in your life, a, a vision or a dream or something like that, but that thing does not align with the Word of God, let me tell you, let God be true and every man a liar. Put your faith in the Word of God. You don't need anything else in order to live by faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. This is what we need. And a life lived by faith is a life that says, Thus saith the Lord, God said this, therefore it is true, and I will stake my life on that. So it is not that we follow our experiences or build our faith uh, upon a foundation of our feelings or what we've experienced. But with all of that being said, let me say this. Experiences that confirm the reality and truth of the Word of God do help to build our faith, do they not? Let, let me put it this way. When we take the Word of God and we see it in action in our lives, does that not help grow our faith? When, when we apply a biblical principle that goes contrary to human reasoning and we see it play out and work itself out and, and exactly what God said would happen happens, 
Does that not inspire a confidence in you? Think of it this way. Your prayer life. You can pray with absolute confidence and assurance that God hears your prayer and answers according to His will. How can you do that? Because He's promised in His word that He will. But when you pray and you experience an answer to that prayer, does that not build your confidence in your prayer life? Sure it does. And I think that's what, what uh, the psalmist here is saying. Let, let me experience what I know to be true from your word. Let your mercies come unto me. Help me to, to actually live in that. Not because I don't believe it. But you see, faith has a couple of aspects to it. One aspect is the important aspect, which is really an act of the will. Faith is an act of your will. I'm going to trust what God said is true and obey it. Not because I see it, but because he said it. That's an act of my will. So I'll, I'll give you an example of that. A new Christian reads in the Bible and maybe hears some preaching or teaching on the fact that the Bible teaches us that God's people ought to tithe of all their increase. That actually the tithe doesn't belong to them, it belongs to the Lord, right? We're to honor the Lord with our substance and with the first fruits of all our increase. The Bible clearly teaches this. But it can be a difficult thing, can't it, to, to, to actually act upon that. Especially if maybe money's a little bit tight. And we say, well, I'm, I'm already struggling with 100% of what I have. How am I going to take 10% off the top and, and actually live? But God said to do it, so I'm going to obey it. It's an act of the will. I believe it, so I will obey it. But let's be honest, when you put that tide check in the offering plate, there's something there that says... I sure hope this is going to work out. Until you kind of get in the habit of doing that as a Christian, and pretty soon you start to find, even beyond the tithe, as I give up above and beyond that which is required of me, the Lord blesses and takes care of my needs. And as we've experienced that, now there's a confidence. Now, just personal experience here, I don't doubt that God will supply my needs. Why? Because I've seen him do it over and over and over again. The first step of obedience was an act of the will, but somewhere in there, experience entered and confirmed that that was the right choice. Does that make sense? We need God's help to experience what we know to be true from his word. In Mark chapter 9, we won't take the time to go there, but Jesus is, is dealing with a man who has a son that... Uh, is demon-possessed. And, and the disciples had tried to cast this demon out. It didn't work. And now this man comes to Jesus totally uh, hopeless. I mean, Jesus is his last hope. And Jesus says to him, Hey, if you believe, all things are possible to those who believe. Do you remember what his response was? Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. What does that mean? It seems so contradictory. If you believe, then you don't have unbelief. 
No, that's actually not necessarily true. And if you've been walking this road for a while, you understand that. There's a difference between the act of the will, a choice, yes, by faith, I trust that what God said is true, but also in my own heart, there are some real questions that I have about this. There are some doubts that I struggle with. There's some unbelief there. And sometimes it's because of circumstances that come in and complicate matters. Like, God, I know that this is the right thing, and I'm willing to obey you, but I really could use some help here because my unbelief is kind of fighting against my belief. <laughs> the psalmist here is talk, has talked about how princes have spoken against him, and, and there's some opposition to what's going on. And I believe he's saying, Lord, I need you to help me to confirm to me by personal, real-life experience what I know to already be true from your word. In Psalm 86, in fact, we're not far from there. Let's turn back to Psalm 86. Psalm 86. Look at verse number 17. He said, oh, let's even back up to verse number 15. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. Those are things that he knows to be true of the Lord. And he's acknowledging that they're true. Then here's his request. O turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thine handmaid Show me a token for good, that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed, because thou, Lord, hast hope in me and comforted me. Isn't that an interesting statement? Show me a token for good. Lord, I know these things to be true. Could you, could you just show me a little token of that to confirm to me, but also to those around me, that what I know to be true is indeed true? So this is an interesting request that he makes. Let thy mercies come also unto me, even thy salvation according to thy word. I've trusted in your word. Let me experience it. And then we see the, the result of that. Look at verse 42. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. Look at verse number 46. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings, and I will not be ashamed. Lord... If you would just do this for me and help me to really uh, sense the, the reality and the truth of your word. I know it to be true. Lord, would you confirm it to me because I'm lacking in the boldness department. And I need some confidence. <laughs> I, I, verse 42, I, so shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me. I, I don't want to go into this situation insecure or uncertain or unsure of your goodness. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings in verse 46. I'll be bold enough to walk into the throne room of a king and to speak of your truth. Do you know that really God desires that all of us would have boldness to speak? 
Christian people ought not to be uh, insecure in him. Yet we find ourselves sometimes lacking in boldness, don't we? A little bit shaky. A little bit fearful to speak up and speak the truth. And we can quote Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but it's a different story when we're confronting someone face to face with the gospel. And it's hard. And it's challenging. And by the way, you're in good company. The apostles in Acts chapter 4 asked the Lord that with boldness they might speak the word of God. Paul asked for people to pray for him that with all boldness he would proclaim the gospel. You say, Paul, he needed boldness? Yeah, he needed boldness. He needed help. Why? Because there are some insecurities sometimes in our own heart. Not about who he is, but who we are, right? And our standing in him. But what he's saying here in, in Psalm 119 is, Lord, please help me and confirm this to me that I might have a boldness and a confidence that I could walk right up to a king and speak of your truth and not be ashamed, not be embarrassed. I want you to go with me, if you would, to the New Testament again. Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8. See, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse number 1, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. That statement, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, is proven out, parents, every time you walk into a room with no intention of coming down on anyone for anything, and the kids kind of all of a sudden get quiet and they kind of stand like this. We weren't doing anything, right? No man's pursuing. No man's coming in, but because of a guilty conscience, <laughs> they're fleeing, right? I remember one time walking up the stairs in our house and one of the kids heard, heard me coming up the stairs and I heard, Dad's coming, and I heard scurrying. And immediately I knew, uh-oh, something's not right here. Why? The wicked flee when no man pursueth. When, we're, when our ways are not pleasing to the Lord, we don't have confidence, right? But the righteous are bold as a lion. Those who are confident in our position in Christ, in our standing in Christ, who are confident in Him, we do have boldness. Romans chapter 8, verse number 31. It says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with, with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Isn't that a, a tremendous promise from the word of God. If you are right with God, no one else can stand against you. The result of this was this man saying, Lord, show me a token for good. Help me experience your word because I want to be confident 
in you. I want to experience the boldness that I know I ought to have. But then as we go back to Psalm 119, very quickly I want to show you his response. Verse number 45, he says, And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. I'll be able to walk in freedom without fear because I'm seeking after you and after your word. Verse 47, I will delight myself in thy commandments which I have loved. Do you see that this is a decision that he's making? It's a commitment that he's making. Lord, I'm going to delight myself in your commandments. Verse 48, my hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments. Do you realize that in the, in the Bible, this concept of lifting up hands has to do with praising the Lord? I believe that what the psalmist is saying here is not conditional upon Lord, show me this token for good, help me to experience your word, but this is a commitment he's making before God. Whatever your, whatever your decision, whatever your uh, response to this prayer, I want you to know I'm going to continue in your word and I'm going to praise you. My hands will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. I, my faith is resting securely in the word of God, and I will praise you. And tonight I, I want to ask you, Christian friend, have you believed in the word of God? That being, first of all, of course, the, the first application would be in the area of salvation. Have you recognized that what the Bible teaches is true? That all of us are sinners, separated from God, without hope, and on our way to complete destruction and an eternity separated from God in the place of torment, the lake of fire. That we all are deserving of that, but that Jesus cared enough and loved us enough to come and die in our place and shed his blood to pay for your sin. And he rose again to overcome the penalty of sin, which is death. And that by placing your faith in him, that you will be saved. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. And if you have not been saved, you have not believed the word of God. You have not placed your faith in what God said to save your soul. That's the first part of believing God. But I think I'm probably speaking to at least a majority of people here who have received Christ. But sometimes we struggle to obey the word of God because we really don't believe it. Because we're not confident that if I actually do what God said to do, that I'll be rewarded as such. That, that life gets better when I'm obeying God's word. I can't tell you the number of people that I have talked to that have said, well, I know the Bible says this, but... And then they go on and give some excuse as to why they can't do that. You know what that is? Unbelief. It's unbelief. Because if there was faith, hey, I'm going to trust what God says, regardless of what circumstances tell me, whatever, regardless of what my logic tells me, I'm going to trust what God says and obey him, that's faith. Have you believed the word of God? And then let me also ask you here tonight, friend, have you experienced 
the fulfillment of God's word in your life. If you're here tonight and you are saved, you have experienced that. Praise the Lord. But sometimes we could use some confidence boosters, couldn't we? Lord, would you help me? I'm facing a difficulty. I'm facing some opposition. I'm facing a circumstance that really makes me fearful and is causing me to struggle to live by faith. Would you do for me in such a way that, that I see you coming through and, and, and build upon the faith that I already have in your word? And maybe there are some of us here tonight that just need to talk to God about that. Lord, I'm going to believe you and obey you regardless of the circumstances. And I'm going to praise you. But Lord, in your mercy, would you fulfill your promises to me that I may grow in my confidence in you and your word?